0: All right, and we are live for Absolute AppSec episode 13. We are, I'm of course joined by
1: the co-host Seth Law. Hey everybody, welcome once again. Oh, hold on. I did what I told.
0: Uh, on. I did exactly what I had talked to Charles about before joining, which was left the sound on and I hit mute. Anyways. Sorry. So, we're joined by uh, Charles Nawatsu. Um, uh, Charles, please say hi. Hey, everybody. So, Charles is in charge of security at Stitch Fix. He's worked at Twilio. He's worked at uh, LinkedIn. He's worked for on the in the federal space, uh, ATel. Like, Charles is going to talk. Obviously, we're going to ask. He's going to talk about himself. We're going to we're going to ask him more questions. But um, Charles basically comes with a uh a, a lot of experience um there we kind of want to get tonight his take on the challenges he faces his philosophy to to, to sort of a building a security program and so that's kind of gonna be where we go tonight so charles thank you for joining us and welcome
2: ah thank you guys for having me uh i really look forward to the conversation tonight
0: oh huh. so we definitely do as well so um you know kind of the first thing we we typically ask people is, um, you know, if you could tell us a little bit about sort of your origin story, uh, what's your, how you, how you like came into security, uh, you know, sort of your, the,
2: your arc, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, So actually I got into security while I was attending undergrad at the Pennsylvania State University. Uh, Go go Lions. Um, Very big, big 10 fan. Uh, so I went into school for like computer science, <clears throat> and at the time there was like a new program opening up called like information sciences and technology, and I was like, oh, this seems pretty cool. Um, so I decided to join into that. And then during my junior year, the I think the NSA started like a program called the like information assurance scholarship program, uh, IASP, and I signed up for that. And I, uh, me and another cohort in my my grade uh, sort of won the initial offering for the for Penn State. And that was the first time when I got exposed to like incident response and like security. And I was like, whoa, like this is really cool actually. Like the the whole incident response and uh, triage, malware analysis, reverse engineering, uh, pen testing, stuff like that was like way fun than developing applications and coding. Uh, Like like coding for applications, I would say. Um, And then from there, I sort of just, um, as part of the obligation, I sort of spent my first seven years of my career supporting uh, the Department of Defense uh, uh, with the Defense Information Systems Agency, DISA, uh, rolling out programs such as like HBSS, such as a host-based security system and a whole bunch of other things. And then from there, just sort of matriculated into like uh, McAfee and had a chance to come out West uh, at LinkedIn and work on their security team with uh, a great guy over there, Corey Scott. Had a chance to move to Twilio under the leadership of uh, Miss Colleen Coolidge, uh, And now sort of doing my own gig at Stitch Fix, trying to build out a security program and uh, the challenges, the ups and downs and the frustrations and the happiness that goes with that.
0: That's quite, I mean, that is a, that's quite a bit, you've worked with some good folks, some good folks have worked with you. Uh, uh, I mean, you've got a great uh, background and uh, that's pretty, That's and honestly it was kind of funny because we were talking before uh, the podcast and, you know, you, you, we, kind of saw HBSS and the federal space and DISA and it was just like brought me back. So that was kind of cool to to chat about that kind of federal stuff a little bit.
2: Um, Yeah, definitely different uh, working in the federal space than, you know, I would say working in startups and things of that nature. Would you say, I mean,
0: in terms of... Okay, so it sounds like initially at Penn State, this is where you kind of fell in love with security in general um and obviously you know there's you know college is education right but i'm curious you know this is something we always ask folks is you know how much how much was taught to you and how much did you really have to like seek out on your own and and teach yourself and and to kind of develop as a security practitioner
2: i I would say it's a a healthy blend like uh i think University education was just good to sort of be around other like-minded people that were interested in that space and uh, having some, I say, professor at least guide you as in, in the overall thing. And then once I especially had the experience of working in federal, the experiences that I saw there like, were just unparalleled. Like that was actually hands-on stuff that I could learn, do. Uh, and sort of take the like the practical and the philosophical aspects of it, and sort of apply it like once I left the federal space. Uh, so that I think it's always a combination of you know, of course, there's a personal drive and passion around security. As you hear many security people say, like it's almost like a lifestyle. It's it's a way of you know living your life. And and I actually believe that it's it is because it's there's so many different verticals and aspects within the c- security uh, program that. I don't believe that any one person is a specialty of everything, but there's so many niches that you can sort of fit yourself into and sort of like develop and sort of it, quote unquote master to some degree in that particular space.
0: I've always wondered. So, you know, on that note is like, how do you, um, obviously there are certain traits, like you said, that this, this, this field is kind of, it's a part of you, right? It's not like, uh, a nine to five, right. Or you can turn it off. So, um, I'd say, you know, you shouldn't disconnect, right? But how do you find the kind of person, like when you're interviewing or when you're going through the process of finding people, you know, in the security space, like what what are some of the key attributes that tip you off? that this might be the right person. What are you kind of looking for?
2: Uh, That's a great question. Um, There are things that I look for in terms of problem solving. I look at security space as uh, a curiosity space. Why do things perform or act the way they do? If I do this, what will happen to the thing that I'm either testing or evaluating? I'm always interested in people's curiosity about how they um, model uh, a thing and how they deconstruct that thing. And what are the elements as to why they chose to deconstruct that thing the way they do? Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. no I was gonna say that that that's
1: very interesting right I, I mean I'm kind of the odd man out because I didn't necessarily like I've n- I've not done a lot in the uh, the government space right most of my experiences come more on the um, the financial side and then the consulting side of things and then tech startups so like when you talk about finding those people how did you how do you feel like it went in you know, in that government side as opposed to the startup side since you've lived both of those lives
2: definitely different because in the government side of course there's like a clearance process so there's there's already a gating function to some degree yeah um and i think that's part of the reason uh, my uh, experience is that part of the reason why there was like the dod information assurance scholarship program was the figure out a way to get the talent coming out of all these universities, you know, they say the brightest minds of the world, as they would say, and sort of catch them and sort of get them inside the uh, the government space to sort of help the government in terms of its information security practices and how to move forward. So I think just having that experience in a different space where I was sort of allowed to work with other uh, peers that are coming out of uh, undergrad and grad school to sort of figure out like what are the best principles that we should be doing within uh, the DO, DoD in the federal space when it comes to security, and knowing that working in the federal space is a grind. It, it, in startups, you, there's a lot of you know flexibility. You know they say you know ship shipping code continuously and things of that nature. Uh, yeah. My experience in the federal is like you no, know, there's things like you sort of plant as a seed and you nurture, and you water, you come back, you check the temperature. There are things that you do to make sure that this particular program or project actually uh, blooms and blossoms into into the beautiful flower you expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and in and, and, and the uh, startup space, like that flower can, you can go to the store and buy it. Like, <laughs> like so you can actually have it right then and there. So I think the difference is sort of, in terms of pace and progress and expectation as to the deliverables, very, very different. but. Uh, still satisfying on both fronts.
1: Yeah, I I mean, you know, when I I have dealt with government or, you know, other agencies, it feels like the maturity is more defined, right? I I mean, startup world can be anywhere from, hey, there's one guy in a corner who's doing everything, application security and network security and everything to a full-blown, you know, 10-person security team with product security and everything else built into it. But the government space seems to be more, because there are those gates right there is those restrictions that are involved it does seem that the maturity level in general like i'm generalizing here but in general is is a little bit higher even though the you know even though they may not be as progressive as the startup space at least they're getting some of the basics right that the startup space may miss
2: yeah, I, I think overall, the, like I said, the unique experiences is, is mainly around, like, the, the basics and processes and procedures. Uh, I know some people will say, oh, well, no, processes, you know, slow people down. But there's sometimes there's, there's a validity in having checkpoints. There's a validity in having processes and checklists. It's almost like a reminder as a safeguard as to how to think. Uh, even the whole concept of just threat modeling your application and understanding the risk associated with an application. Um, with the... The continuous deploy, continuous integration uh, flow of applications, it sometimes can be challenging to do a threat model because you can literally sit down and do it one day, and by the time you come back 24 hours, it could be a completely different type of application with new different inputs and things of that nature. Uh, so there's always a, a balance between, I think, the federal space and what I've I've taken from the federal space and what I'm applying into the uh, startup space. And it's been interesting. I have to say, like, my move out here to the West Coast has been interesting and sort of understanding how to take those principles of federal and apply them to the scrappiness of startup worlds.
1: And how have you found that tradition or or how have you found acceptance, right, of those principles or whatever that you've uh, taken from the, the government space? I mean, wh- what do you feel like the startup world has taken and what, what don't they accept to readily?
2: Uh, That's another good question. Sort of challenging to sort of respond to that one, but I will say this at a high level is that I believe it's actually driven more on the startup side by the culture. And my experiences, where there's a high uh, security culture not just within the security team, but how that's echoed throughout the rest of the organization. Like I truly believe in individuals and investing in individuals, not just in security, but across organization, that if you make that like extension of trust and sort of build upon that, that people will generally want to do what is right. Uh, And like, I just like to say, you know, hold me accountable as I hold you accountable, commit to me as I commit to you and sort of work from there. So I, I think like one of the, the, interesting challenges has been just getting that partnership but once it's there like once the risk is understood like I I sort of see the 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 grind is more of like the grind to sort of build it in and when you start grinding you know it's not in a negative way but you know there's a lot of work there's a lot of uh security narrative development that's what i would say like developing the security narrative that it can be championed and sort of uh, communicated across the organization like one of the things i preach at citrix now is that uh security is not just my team's responsibility but security is the whole organization. In fact, that I run the largest security organization that I know of because of all the people within Stitch Fix. So uh, that's the mindset shift that I sort of preach to people when it comes to like security adoption and my time here out in the Bay. And I have to say like so far, you know, it's been, it's it's been with its challenges, but I'm committed to doing it in this approach.
0: Well, and you know, this is a good time to start asking about what are the challenges in a modern, I mean, because and I should say specifically in a modern uh, shop or development workplace or however you want to say it, um, you know, what, what are the the modern challenges that, that people are facing, you know, and then what was as well as, you know, your approach and your team's approach to solving some of those challenges. And you can get, I mean, yeah, f- please, you know, get as high level or as low level as you want. Uh, you know, we're, yeah, we're interested.
2: I think, yeah. um, I have this concept, do less better. Um, I understand there's all these, you know, advance and machine learning and analytics and stuff, but half the time, like, just do less better. Like, do you understand how authentication authorization happens within your platform? If it's a web app um, or your application, if you're developing an application, uh, most of the things I think, like the was it the critical controls top twenty, the uh, the SANS critical controls top twenty list, like just just being able to do the basics better. Uh, Mike Johnson recently had a LinkedIn post where just talking about this, just doing the basics. Uh, you know, password management for your employees, uh, ensuring that you have proper like, asset management, just knowing what you have, where you have it. Like, I do believe that if, from a infrastructure, security infrastructure standpoint, if we're doing the basics well, the rest will come in line. In terms of like application development and secure coding, once again, basics of a framework um when you go outside of uh, a programming languages framework to do things that are i think you know outside of that there are challenges and inherent risk and do you truly understand what those risks and challenges are so i think uh like i said do less better Uh, you know keep it simple uh is the approach that i've uh, just sort of been moving forward with with security um the advanced machine learning analytics apt all that nice little fun stuff I, I believe it will come, but I want to focus on having a solid foundation. I, I just think that's where most of the energy and effort should be put across, whether it's your AppSec program or even your corporate infrastructure security program. Just just do the basics.
1: Both both Seth and I have yeah. the, uh, a favorite
0: quote from Ron Swanson, never have fast two things, whole ass one thing. It sounds similar to sort of your approach there.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Less well, is more.
1: Day one. What do you do, right? Uh, like.
2: So day one
1: you do I, less better, right? You've given us the sans, you know, critical security controls. What is the one thing you do like right? like when you walk into Stitch Fix for the first day, right? What is it that you started looking at?
2: Well, I'll say I'll say like my playbook as a whole. My playbook as a whole is basically baseline where things are at. And it's not really from a tooling perspective. The first step is really understanding like the individuals in the the environment that you're working in, the engineers that you're working with, your infrastructure people that you're working with. It's really sort of building that that network of people within the organization. And then secondly, it's understanding what's the commitment that you're getting from the top down. Uh, So there's always like the grassroots bottom up approach, but also you need, I think advocates within your management or your C uh, level uh, team members to sort of say, like, you know, we are invested in this particular capability of security and what does this mean for us? Uh, I, I think from there, then you sort of go and sort of do a, a quick high level risk assessment. Uh, you know, as you're learning how the organization works, where the business uh, impacts of, of of the organization, identifying, like, what are key areas that you would like to target first, um, of course, I think if you're on the web app side, you want to do maybe a quick, you know, web penetration test just to see like what's the baseline of the services. Are they doing secure coding principles right? Are they using their framework right? Uh, there are things that you can sort of get a glimpse um, as a an external view before getting too deep dive inside the company, where you can sort of get an assessment and say, okay, at least I have a, a blueprint of what to do. So my first thing is normally just baselining what exists and what doesn't exist. Um, Based on my experiences from previous organizations, from some of the teachings and learnings uh, from my experience with LinkedIn, with Corey Scott and uh, Twilio with Colleen Coolidge and and other places like that is just taking that and sort of and then putting in my government stuff, putting that all together and say, this is my playbook. Baseline from the baseline, figure out what are the key areas you like to invest in, uh, develop a roadmap strategy for those investments and start there. Of course, you need to hire people. So I can't do it all by myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, yeah, you, you would be surprised, right? How many organizations think that it can be done? You know, yeah,
2: yeah. That 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 mindset sort of really has to change in terms of it just being like this one-off group, like this black box thing that says, "Oh, this is this bucket security that is oh terrifying and scary." Um, I think as security practitioners, we tend to um, create some of that narrative ourselves where I don't believe we create an uh, inviting environment to allow people who may not know to come in and feel safe about displaying maybe their lack of understanding of security principles and creating an environment that's healthy where they feel that they can discuss those things without fear of prejudice. Um, So I actually think there's some work that we as security practitioners uh, need to do in terms of how we develop that security narrative within our companies or our our respective uh, fields and then sort of go from there.
1: Yeah, it makes sense.
0: Uh, I I was going to ask, I mean, I have one big question, which is, uh, I'm curious when it comes to philosophy. So basically, I mean, we see it time and time again, Panera Bread um, being the most recent compromise. It almost feels like, I mean, to me, it almost feels like you, you, there's no matter how much or what you do with security. Now, granted, like, Panera Bread was kind of a, that was just unique. That was yeah. handled <laughs> terribly. But, um, but it's a
2: good use case. It's a good use case of yeah. potentially of what you should and shouldn't do. And that's what
0: I wanted to ask. You know, like, do you, I mean, do you kind of mentally say, okay, look, there's, do you, do you discuss with the, with the, with the C suite and the execs and, and the higher ups, you say, Hey, look, this is always a potential thing. So this is sort of how we prepare for it. Uh you know, is it is it? Uh, com- I mean, just yeah. I, I would love to hear. Is it like controls that reduce risk? Is it? I mean, how do you talk to to folks about this? You know, and within your company, and, and prepare for the potential.
2: Yeah. So I say I would say overall, like uh, you know, they, I, prevention always fails. Like I, I think it, there's a saying that something I don't know who said it, but it's been stuck in my head for a while. Like prevention always fails. So I'm I'm a big believer in can we develop capabilities. That can increase our, our ability to detect and respond in a timely manner, and that can track those metrics as a whole. So that's that's like my, my first case, and then second, um, since we know that breaches happen, we have good evidence that breaches happen. Um, then the first case to me is like, well, we should have a, a breach response plan. I understand that in the moment. Uh, when there's like when you're doing a tabletop around a breach, it's very easy to say, "Okay, we're reading this case study, and we're walking through this." <clears throat> but I still believe that having exposure and making sure that other people within the company, the key uh, stakeholders, having exposure just to the process alone, not the technical aspect. <clears throat> But the non-technical, I believe in this day and age that if, you know, the technical aspects of a breach will get resolved. You're going to hire engineers, you're going to, like, that's going to get handled. The thing I believe that needs more investment is around the non-technical aspect. How do you interface with your comms team? Does your comms team understand what mediums for which they're going to communicate on? How frequently will we communicate externally if it's an external notification? Do we understand what that looks like? do we have, uh, how do we communicate with our internal employees and how frequently do we do that? How do we engage counsel? Who should engage counsel? Like I, I just finished, I'm in the process of working on developing that type of strategy for um, for Citrix, and it's, it's an interesting dialogue for which I'm like, well, wow, this would be a great talk to do is, all right, so if the only thing you could do in one day is develop a, a breach response plan, I actually think that's a good first step. Um, because I, I I want to venture and say, you're not going to have an AppSec program after day one. No. You're probably not going to have uh, like a cloud infrastructure security program after day one. But if you could only email your your management team and your C team like, look, these are the things we should at least have if if, if all hell breaks loose, break glass, pull fire alarm. Like that's a first step that, that wasn't there yesterday. So I actually think that's a positive. Yeah,
0: I, that's so. I mean, honestly, that's awesome to hear that from you. to To hear that that's sort of because I mean, I have my like obviously I'm biased that I think that everybody should be prepared because I do think there's no. It, it just doesn't seem to matter how much it within. Okay, I, let me say this. I'm not saying that there's there's no value to obviously we all believe and know that there's value in security. What I am saying though is that. The value only gets you so far, there is still that little window, no matter how much you do, that there might be a breach. So then it goes back to it again, this is my opinion um, that you just have to sort of uh, like segment and and control sort of what what all gets breached. But it's really interesting to hear from you the concept of forward facing internally and forward facing, how do we get that messaging put together? How are we communicating? You know, and that's sort of like, um, that's to me novel. Cause I haven't heard of folks, uh, you know, kind of putting that together. Um, that's kind of cool. That's, that's, that's a newer thing to me. I, I've heard of like, you know, getting, um, you know, like an incident response plan in place, but in terms of being prepared for legal counsel breach statements, things like that,
2: that's, yeah, it was it was a challenge. It was it was challenging because uh, the the I just told myself like heaven forbid if I got hit by bus tomorrow and I could only leave one thing for the company what would that be and and I said if they knew how to communicate and talk to each other in a time of a security incident. I would be extremely happy because like I said, there's no way an AppSec program could be built in one day. There's no way that uh, a cloud infrastructure security program can be built in one day. But if there's a checklist or roadmap that they could at least follow that gets them down the path and there's there's um, like you can demonstrate trust while you're doing that process. Like to me, that's that's just at least reassuring.
1: <laughs> yeah, you- I mean, you, you gotta have something that you can call back on. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I and I, I never necessarily thought about it in that way, right? I always I always went in with kind of the whole idea of the gap analysis, right? What you were talking about as baselining, um, but actually giving them something straight out of the gate like that, um, it was interesting. You know, we just had Hack West here in Salt Lake City, and one of the keynotes was Dawn Marie Hutchins, Hutchinson from Optiv. Mm-hmm. and that's all she talked about was breaches, right? That's like most of her work is going in and advising CISOs on breaches and having the plan of who's going to talk to the media is a way bigger issue than how you technically fix the breach. Right. Yep. Cause it affects I- the bottom line. You know, if you go out and say, Hey, we, you know, we lost your record or whatever. We lost your credit card. You know that you're admitting to damages against some person and you're going to have to make them right. Um, Uh, Yeah. So that's a, that's a good way to think of it though, right? Is what can you do today to actually hand to your company that's going to make a difference? Uh, That is something that would do it.
2: Yeah. Something different.
1: Yeah. No, it's good. That's, that's exactly why we, we have these discussions, right? Is, you know, Ken and I have been mired in, product security, application security for a number of years, right? And we don't always get up to that level. Yeah, we kind of manage some things. I'm um, at a consulting company, but it was always very code focused. And it's good to take a step back and actually look at the different the different aspects of security that we don't necessarily always think about. Right.
2: Yeah, definitely. I definitely love I I think the AppSec space to me is very intriguing because as like a I don't like saying incident response, but I, I like to say like detection engineer, uh, because as like a detection engineer, I look at application security uh, uh, professionals as like like, hey, you guys should be laying like triggers, and as a like, detection engineer, I want to consume the triggers that you deploy inside applications as a way to, for us to better, like I said, better detect, um, so that when if something does go, you know, walk in the dark, that we can identify it quicker uh minimize the risk you know minimize blast radius as people would say and have like a response plan on how to tactically um address that particular like issue or vulnerability or exploit uh happening so i i i'm i really see uh all the security functions sort of fitting together like as a web and sometimes it's it can get tangled but we do our best to sort of like be uh very de- uh like explicit in our communication with each other mhm
1: has any- How do you foster that? Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Go, 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 ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, obviously, you know, you're at Stitch Fix. You're running security there. You've got people on on board. How do you foster that sort of communication and that sort of camaraderie, right? I mean, it's, it's easy to walk into an organization that already has that figured out. But what have you done? And, you know, kind, kind of what are your hints to building that sort of a program? Uh,
2: <clears throat> so I, I think... Some of that feeling that I uh, of that camaraderie actually comes from my time being in the DoD and in, in the federal space and supporting the different cocoms that existed. In, in, so you were,
1: in, were the, always under fire, and that was it, right? Well, it,
2: it, it wasn't that you had to be. It's just the idea that we are all committed to each other to either solve this problem, come hell or high water. Like that, that level of intensity is, is what I've tried to build in all of my IR teams that I've managed. And as a security program, what I'm looking to do is, and I mean this heavily, that I am asking people to commit to doing the right thing. Like I want their their behavior to demonstrate that we are either doing the right thing. Because then at a level, then it becomes a, a psychological thing where, where I'm asking myself, am I doing the right thing at this point in time? I understand I gotta ship code, I understand I gotta you know, do like send something out, but how can I change behavior to demonstrate that we are doing security well? And how can I demonstrate that through some form of, uh, I know the next step is like metrics, because I do believe that you have to show that there's, there's growth happening, uh, but I wanna challenge people at the individual level and at an organization level to create an environment where we are not just talking about security, we're being actionable about security, and we're holding each other accountable by being committed to security
1: that makes sense right uh, you know so if you're asking someone to, someone to commit to that right you know is that is that part of your interview process right is that you know how, how is it that you are instilling that into people um, or getting that
2: buy-in uh, <clears throat> so pardon me I just straight up ask. Like, uh, I, 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 <laughs> like, no, be I, honest, right? Be straightforward with people. Yeah.
1: This is what we expect for sure.
2: Yeah. I, I, no, we are all professionals in our working environments. Uh, we are all adults, supposedly, in our working environments. And the way I just look at it is I just ask straight up, and that if your behavior does not demonstrate that, then that's when there has to be a conversation about, okay, like, what do we do here? Um, I, I just believe in just being very transparent with people uh, as my personal, as my personal ethos is just being very transparent with people and just saying, Hey, like, this is what it is. Um, yes. It can be painful. Yes. It can be challenging, but I'd rather have the tough and difficult conversations. And if we disagree, that's fine. I just want to be able to express and understand like where are you coming from, where I'm coming from and how does this impact, uh, like impact us as a company. Uh, I think as security professionals, like we're we're trust custodians. We're in the business of building trust. Uh, security is just the action is how we do that. Like we're in, at the end of the day, we, we are expecting people to trust what we do, trust what we say, and that's only evident by the things that we do and how transparent we choose to be with those things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I, I mean, I would agree with that, right? Because that's the whole idea is, um as a security person, you t- you typically aren't the one that's running the network. You're not building the applications. You're walking in and saying, hey, why don't we do this? And if they don't trust you, if they don't have some sort of, lo- some level of expectation that that expertise is correct, you're never going to get anything done.
2: Yeah, which goes back to that whole security narrative thing. I've, I think one of the biggest things I've learned within the past two years is, developing a security narrative that is easily consumable by anyone. Um, and it takes uh, time to craft that security narrative for wherever organization that you're in. And it's something that I'm continuously doing because as I learn more, I do want to refine it more. And I think uh, as I've gotten better with it, I'm, as, as one of my uh, coworkers told me, Charles, you're winning the hearts and minds of the people. Uh, so I take that uh, very personally to sort of show that security is not this scary thing. Yeah. that it, it can be like everyone has a place within this journey. Uh, and it's just making sure that as a security team, we either provide services that help with that. That's very transparent or we're communicating and doing training and education around those things so that it's, it's just inviting.
1: Cool. Good. Ken, you had a question and I interrupted.
0: No, I was just going to ask, you know, it's kind of a little different. Um, I was just curious, you know, in terms of, cause, you know, I think, All three of us on this call been around for a while. Um, That's a nice way of saying we're a bunch of old farts. But uh, no. But on a on a serious note, from a from a technical perspective, what has gotten easier? What has made things more difficult for you? I know that's kind of a out of the left field kind of question. But I,
2: I would say actually, what's easier? Like I'm going to talk about from like an incident response side. I actually think like AWS environments or cloud security, like cloud infrastructure environments. Uh, with all the APIs that you get in these infrastructures, you can do a lot of things right off the get-go. Like uh, the, there are things that are inherently part of like the AWS Security Trust Model, Google Cloud Platform Trust Model. Like if you do those things, man, you are farther along than most I would say, like uh, traditional enterprises could be in terms of identity and access management. Things of that nature, and then also logging of that with the things of like AWS cl- cloud trail and the like. I, I just think that has moved that uh, up front faster. What has become challenging is the fact that, well, you still have you have AWS, and if you're not properly doing those things right, you can shoot yourself in the foot, uh, as evident with the, all the like the types of S3 bucket stuff that's been happening. So it, it's like <laughs> it's great if you do it right. <laughs> but if you do it wrong it's, it's it's very evident real quick like what could happen uh, like a loss of access management keys and things of that nature so i i am actually surprised about uh the cloud infrastructure like at first i was like I'm going kind to of like a little cautious about it but the more i've engaged in it i'm like wow this is this is fantastic this is great uh, but you have to follow the safeguards that exist within these platforms
0: well and you know i'd love to have um, at some point Evan Johnson on to talk about what he... But to your point, what he built and what his team built that Segment was as as a... Essentially, the goal was to have no access keys, right? Uh, One of the biggest issues with AWS is those, like you said, those AWS access keys getting out there and then... Or S3 buckets being open, but uh, their goal was like, you know, AWS access keys, uh, IDs and secrets. We don't use those anymore. And so they went to a completely uh kind of like federated um roll base. yeah, yeah,
1: and so that was pretty, or keyless infrastructure,
0: yes, keyless infrastructure, mm-hmm. um so i mean it's it's like what you said there is there is this uh notion that because it's so powerful and because it offers a rich api and because there there are so many features you can you can most people i think. Some, uh, it's pretty common for people to focus on the negative, but like there are that aspect, there are those aspects of like, yeah, but you can also make it super secure and you can, you know, there's a lot you can do in terms of visibility, in terms of hardening, in terms of restoration, um, that, that, uh, it can be your friend basically, you know, it can, can work for you.
2: Yeah. I think one of the challenges though, is actually finding, uh, talent, that understands or finding resources, actually understand how to do that within any... Did we lose him?
1: Oh, uh, did, oh,
2: he, I think I hear there,
1: you. There you go, you're back.
2: Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, like I said, I was saying, one of the challenges is just finding talent. I, I, well, I, think, I know information security is tough as a whole, but finding uh, cloud infrastructure security engineers on top of AppSec people, on top of, you know, security monitoring IR people. And then on top of that, trying to uh, maintain a level of, of of diversity within that whole uh, pipeline is also challenging. So I think it goes both ways. Like, it's great that we have these things, but we also need exposure to get people trained, and, trained up on these platforms.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know that uh, AWS security has a, uh, or AWS has a security cert now, but, you know, it's, Yeah, it's it's so it's new technology that people have to adapt to to learn. And then and that's the interesting thing, too, that we don't often talk about is that like, you know, in security, there, there are these things where it's a new technology. And then we have to get we have to get familiar with this technology, I'd argue, at times more so than even the people using it, because we have to figure out all the pitfalls, the unseen, the un, un the unseen pitfalls, the the things that can go wrong. Um we have to really know that stack inside and out for us to then make assumptions or not assumptions, um to to make some to put together some strategy around securing it, uh some policies, what have you. So um yeah. New, new technology is always an interesting one. in The clouds, really interesting. I did want to point out, by the way, first of all, Evan Johnson. Who we were just talking about. He said hi. He's in chat, and he um he had had a question, and it was uh you know he's curious to hear the tricks of the trade for moving security basics forward at a startup. Um, you know, it, let's see. It's uh, sounds good to talk about. Uh, so, so basically. That he's seen in the past, and we—I think we've all seen it. Teams mm-hmm. have um, issues with the basics, and you know, I'm—I'm I'm not as sure what the basics means. I'm not sure if that means like, uh, oh gosh, one second, I got a new phone, and now Siri just turned herself on. Which is a whole other thing, by the hey, way. Siri.
2: Is Siri, listening? Hey Siri. <laughs> Siri, got on, so. Siri, call mom. Go <laughs> <We'll> call mom. <laughs> oh, um. So you mentioned like, what I? are those, you know, you were talking about, <laughs> what are those basics, right? Like, right, right. What are those basics? So it, there are different verticals. So within those verticals of security and in your infrastructure, there are different basics, I, I say. Um, I believe that you need to at least identify what you have in order to understand what you need to protect uh, and what you need to sort of have a threat assessment against and a threat model against in terms of like corporate infrastructure security. Uh, one of the use cases that was uh, thrown to me before was like, well, we have people that lose our laptops. OK, it happens. Um, and then it said, well, I think that's a low. So that's a low risk. Well, I said, well, what if that laptop didn't have like full disk encryption? And what if that laptop belonged to, let's say, our comptroller? This is, is uh, our financial comptroller. Does that mean it's still a low risk at that point? um no like to me i would say yeah you (laughs) know i would beg to say that it's a little bit different but then again it's it's being open to thinking that as uh as a prevention mechanism when prevention sort of does fail how do you quickly do your triage through detection to determine the level of effort that you need to put into solving said challenge so I, I do believe in just asset inventory, asset management. I do believe in patching makes a difference. I do believe that enterprise password management uh, for your end users is something that companies should, should offer. It's like, these are my personal opinions about that. Uh, because the things that we can make easy and available for our end users, once again, goes into demonstrating the behavior of being trustworthy.
0: Okay, um, i was just trying to digest that. You hit hit back uh, at me.
1: That, I mean, you know, making it easy, right? And I think that's what e- Evans asking is how do you how do you do that, right? Um, I mean, it's one thing to kind of talk about it, um, you know, and I, I think you 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 hit on it earlier. Hiring is a big deal, right? Being yeah. upfront with people being upfront with what you expect of them when they join the team and communication. Um,
2: yeah, so that that goes both for the team members you hire and for the uh, the, the company as a whole. Um, like one of the things I, I, I've done at Citrix is basically you know, pr- present to our entire company about how our security will be and how that they are, like I said, part of this process. And something that um, just from personal experience is going back to hiring is like getting people that can help leverage across the organization. Um, I look for communication skills as as a big component of being a security practitioner, but I also look at how individuals can develop solutions, create solutions, or integrate with teams that sort of leverages their understanding and does that as a force multiplier for the rest of the organization. Um, Like I should be able to say, hey, I'm going to deploy you into this group. And by the time, let's say, two month, three month engagement within this group within this company, like there's an expectation that you have either sort of developed or fostered uh, capabilities that allows this team to sort of pseudo independently function by themselves. Like you just check in every so often to to ensure that they are still in alignment. But you're developing things that sort of act as, uh, you know, guardrails. Like you know, when you go bowling, they got the inflatable things. You know, the you you know you bounce uh-huh. off. <laughs> they have the little guardrails, and you do your bowling. You can bounce off of them, but you're still on the track going forward. Yes. Like that, that's the goal: is to sort of continuing to guide teams to move forward, but in in a uh, in a secure and, a, if possible, a transparent way that's unbeknownst to them. But if they're willing to know what that is, you can pull back the curtains and say, "Hey, this is what we're doing." Like I'm big on that too
1: yeah so what I'm hearing is that there's a component of the security team that you're looking at as more of a a marketing effort almost internally and externally right you know Definitely. Hey, we're marketing ourselves as a trust agent and we're marketing the tools and processes so if i if I send you as a security professional into a you know into the DevOps team, I'm expecting you to bring their level up and market us and or market security to them. So it becomes a part of their process. Is that correct?
2: Yes, like my, my, I know my goal at the end of the day is actually to make myself irrelevant with regards to security. And that goes back to the fact that if security is, is, is open and available to all, it should just become another, I don't say a say checkbox, but just more of a, an oversight with the data that we can collect, the metrics that we define, the capabilities that we develop and invest in. Um, where that is actually integrated across the team. Now, that's like the like the sky and the pie, like that's the end state. But I know there's a lot of work that has to be done in order to get to that point. And that's where I'm at right now is just like, let's get the talent on board. Let's figure out our roadmap moving forward and let's determine what we want to capture to demonstrate that the investments that we're doing, the capabilities we're developing and investing in are actually making a difference. Uh, and that's uh, yet to come.
1: <laughs> that that's one thing you're always working on, right? Is measuring exactly what you're doing and representing that to the board or whoever, right? The, the upper to upper management. So yeah, you know where 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 this is an AppSec, you know, podcast. Obviously, that's Ken and I's background, mm-hmm. right? You know, what what are you doing at Stitch Fix from that perspective? Like, how are you building out your application security team, and how do you view that as different? um, You know, say your network security, your your cloud security team. I mean, appsec, cloud security could go hand in hand. But you know, give us a a little bit of a rundown there.
2: So I would say, um, just taking a step back, that uh, from an application security team perspective, my my philosophy once again uh, is uh, we have assessments in place. Is having the this new team that literally just started this week um, to sort of sort of build up their understanding of the business and then sort of like, if there's hemorrhaging things and we're bleeding, of course, we're going to address those things um, in a time accordingly fashion. But it's to have them sort of get an idea of, like, where should we start investing our time at? I want to give them the due diligence to sort of do their own inspection and assessment. Um, Like, they are the subject matter experts in this space. Uh, The culture that we have in our environment is very open to doing, uh, like, security-related efforts. It's just as with everything, you just got to get prioritized because, like I said, the grind, you got to repeat that grind over and over again, get the security narrative over and over again. Uh, but I don't see it, uh, my program being too different uh, at this point in time. Uh, I think it's just getting a, an understanding of our, our our space and our environment uh, and then being somewhat tactical and programmatic uh, in terms of strategy of how we want to resolve these things. Uh, of course, you know, you have like your SDLC stuff. There's things that is inherently a part of like secure development and coding and, and things of that nature that you just want to address. But maybe there's something very, very tactical that we can do and demonstrate why we're doing this and how it fits into uh, our, our secure development lifecycle and training program. And and then the toolings that will come with that as part of the organization. So right now we are sort of developing what that what that roadmap will be, uh, but we know it's probably going to be somewhat traditional as we start off uh, until we get sort of a good idea from what are our baseline assessments look like and where we look to like develop capabilities and move forward in.
1: Cool, yeah, it, it's all. It, I mean, it's always interesting to see, right? You know, obviously the approach is you know kind of a standard one that we we see in multiple organizations, right? Is hey, where are we at? You know, what do we look like from an OWASP top 10 perspective? In the SDLC, are we doing dynamic analysis, static analysis? Yep. And then where are our gaps? Where can we push more into training or whatever it is, right? Um,
2: yeah, yeah, I so, mean, yeah, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Like, um, I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm, I'm seeing more AppSec developers wanting to not just do, like, I call it like the, vulner- the vulnerability research aspect, like finding the stuff. Um, but I'm also starting to find some people that are coming from like the software side that would love to learn how to fix the stuff. Yeah. So I've been, my previous gigs have been successful having a blend of like software engineers that want to do like security fixes, uh, like, like learn how to do security and develop security tooling. And then also having like AppSec vulnerability researchers sort of help find this stuff, but may not have the strongest uh, programming skill sets, but are willing to learn. So I've sort of been like doing like blending and pairing individuals of those types of mindsets together, like, okay, you guys are buddies, uh, or you two are buddies that are gonna sort of solve this together, because it, it's, it's interesting to see that uh, there's developers that are truly interested in security, but like I said, the barrier may be daunting to them. And then there's vulnerability researchers and AppSec pen testers that like, are great at finding stuff, may at a high level know how to fix it, but may resign themselves from actually doing it within the code themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, we've always, well, I I mean, me personally, I've always stuck to the, stuck to my guns on the, you know, the best application security people are developers, right. Um, They may not be the the best at finding a vulnerability, right. But uh, you know, it kind of comes from my background in development as well as understanding how to build the application gives you a lot of power and how to actually break it. Right. You understand where all those edge cases are, but then you also understand how to fix it, and you can talk the developers' language. Um, gotcha. As far as integrating the two together, it's a, it's a it's kind of an interesting problem, right? And traditionally, what you have is more of the pen testers or the vulnerability researchers, right, on the security team, and then uh, you know, in the organizations where I've seen it work very well, mm-hmm. they identify developers that are security conscious. And those are the guys that the vulnerability researchers go to, right? So, hey, I find a vulnerability. I'm going to tell the one guy on the team that gets excited about it. And he's the one that's going to rip the code apart, uh, be that a can or somebody else, right? But rip the code apart, figure out why it's happening, and then actually implement the fix. Um, You know, if you can find somebody that can do both of them, hey, you know, you found a a diamond and you got to keep a hold of them, right? But definitely, yeah. (laughs) But, I, but but the whole idea is, you know, actually having those two two different skill sets to complement each other. I, I mean, I, I think we're talking the same language there.
2: Yeah. I think you brought up a great point because you said as a developer, you understand your, your code. Um, like you, it gives you the ability to understand how to break your code uh, better. And something that I remember picking up at my time at LinkedIn and work with uh, Corey Scott was like, as a developer, uh, there, there, there's this thing of craftsmanship around your code. And the quality of your code. And if you're an engineer developing code, that security is part of your your craftsmanship. Like, it, like you just don't develop code without thinking about these types of things. Like, if you call yourself a developer or a programmer and you're not thinking about security, then are you really doing your craft the justice? And that's how that's part like part of the uh, you're talking about the how do I get people on this journey with me? It's like I sort of I'm transparent to that nature. Like, well you call yourself a developer or a programmer. So as you're maturing through, you know, senior staff, principal, et cetera, et cetera, like how does that demonstrate in your security understanding? Like I, I just challenge people at that level. Yeah, I mean, Netflix
0: talked or Jason Chan from Netflix to uh, uh, reinvent 2017 had talked about they built this dashboard and it was effectively a scorecard of all of the applications that mattered, it mattered, I believe, being, you know, front facing and, um, because of the pride in their craftsmanship and because of the, um, just the general kind of culture, peer pressure, et cetera, you don't want to have the D or the F or the, even the C on that, that scorecard and it's visible to everybody. So it was, it was a good way, apparently from what they, from what Jason had said uh, for them to, uh, you know, to, not not too embarrassed, but to say, hey, here's some awareness around like applications that are maybe not meeting the spec, and then uh, people can start throwing in pull requests or code changes to to tighten that stuff up. So more to get people involved in in fixing and and improving, and people did it because they took pride in their work.
1: Yeah, and I almost feel like there's an education aspect to that, right? If we go back to the things that you can do to really affect security, right? You know, actually training your developers in a good way on security is, I mean, that that's where you've got to start. I, I, if you look at any, I mean, you got some information security or information assurance at experience in college. Um, I didn't, right? By, by any stretch, you know, if we even talked about security, it was about crypto or, you know, something random like that. It, it had nothing to do with like internet security, buffer overflows, or anything like that. Um, granted, I you know I am beating myself because you know that's you know the only thing that they talked about security-wise back then. But you know, in spite of that, what, what I'm saying is that there's not a lot of programs out there on the university level that really address security in a way that we would find adequate, right? So you know, you pull somebody that's only got a couple of years of coding experience under their belt they most likely don't know what SQL injection or cross site scripting is or if they do they have a very very shallow understanding of it right
2: yeah and, and i guess that comes with part of the uplift
1: yeah yeah i mean you got to figure out a way to bring them up to a level that you need them to be at um you know i i mean it's it's a difficult proposition. I, I mean, are you doing something like that with Stitch Fix? You know, what what, what is your security training program look like for developers?
2: Well, I say like a general like the security program, like security program and training in in general. What I've normally looked at is, um, I have I have this concept of just like just in time training. Like, um, if they're deploying code and we're using our automated CI CD, like if there are failures, I want them to be able to understand like why those failures are happening and what what that failure is, why it is, and what would you need to do in the future to prevent it? Almost like on demand at that point in time. Then you have your traditional training where like, hey, we're gonna either have a lunch and learn or wanna have some type of third party application vendor to come and do some uh, like custom based training. Uh, but I'm I'm looking at solution sets that sort of do that just in time. Hey, this failed in your build. You wanna you know, you know why? Click here type of, of concept. I, I wanna engage the developer where they're at. Like, yeah, uh, like, like that's that's my thing. If I can engage the developer where they're most comfortable, where they're normally working at, then I think that will help sort of um, like a better engagement model for uh, developers and other practitioners.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it goes back to, to pride of crafts and shift shift as well. <laughs> right. We're all struggling with that <laughs> <time>. <laughs> except for except for Charles. He's got
0: it <laughs> nailed, but the rest. Uh...
1: Craftsmanship. There we go. I got it. I got it. Goes back to pride of that thing as well, right? Um, I mean, no developer wants to write crappy code. They don't want to write code that that costs the company money, uh, or you know, is is harder to maintain, or you know, is insecure. So teaching them the, the right way to do it, like I like that just in time training or the you know real time training aspect. I feel like we try to do that, you know, from a consulting perspective, we try to do that in the reports, right? Hey, here's all this background information on cross-site scripting. But I guarantee you that 90% of those findings that I've written have never even been read, right? The descriptions and the background, all they do is they jump straight to the, hey, how did this happen and how do I fix it?
2: Yep, yep. And, and, and I think, uh, like, it's a disservice that we're, we're, like, we're doing. And once again, like, how do we engage them where they're at? Um, my wife always has this saying: "On oh, meet people with grace," like, and that's how I take my security uh, focus. Like, meet people where they're at, um, understand where they're coming from, and and how do I get them along on this journey? And once again, it goes back to the security narrative. So, uh, my belief is, if I meet people where they're at, I give them the security narrative, and I bring them along on the journey. Hopefully, then they will, you know, spread that gospel to the rest of the people. And we sort of go from there uh, but it's it's an exciting endeavor and journey to go through uh, i I'm not sure I recommend everyone being like a head of a security program but <laughs> there's there's a lot of uh, pains and growth that go with it but it's it's truly a humbling experience to sort of like bring people along on that journey and it's very very exciting
0: I did want to mention uh, because we're having, so I've got like, a there's a couple other Slack channels. We've got a Slack channel for, um, <coughs> basically what I'm trying to say is that uh, we've got a couple Slack channels that both Seth and I are part of. We've got one dedicated absolute AppSec. I did invite you, Charles. Um, it's a newer thing and we're still trying to get it set up. So it's not really what we're using. Having said that, people are having some issues with YouTube uh, chat. So if there are questions you want to uh, get in, email us uh, at absolute at gmail.com that's absolute at gmail.com we'll get you an invite to slack since we haven't set it up to sign up yet and then also um you can just email a question as well because we're going to be on here for another few minutes so uh you know feel free to email those uh, I, I apologize it's just we've got this like youtube is not the the, the easiest to to work with so
2: hey something else i wanted to bring up um like we mentioned security in terms of like developer centric and and one of the things i'm i'm being very um explicit about is that security actually is more than just developers i understand developers write code but there's also security with you know how your finance team engages with data sets and how do they transfer that information uh, inner company and external and, and and if you have marketing teams how do they handle sensitive data sets uh internally within the company and external uh, so uh, like once again, it's it's really uh, uh, I would say from my experience, uh, for security practitioners to fall into the, what they feel comfortable with, and being comfortable with is engineers and developers. But uh, from an organizational standpoint, there is risk and security concerns that across more than just the traditional engineering development boundaries that fall into your HRIT systems, that fall into your IT infrastructure, that falls into your finance and, and, and whatever other components that fits your particular industry. Uh, so that's something I just like, want to call out that you know security, like I said, it is cross cross-cutting.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So, I, I mean, what's your approach for managing that risk? Right. I, I mean, I know there's a lot of companies that do. I mean, we've we've talked about bug bounties a few times, right? It is like open season on anything that's related to our domain. You let us know, and we pay you for it. But you know, what, what is your approach when you want to manage that risk and you want to eliminate it or mitigate it?
2: Um, so manage it, well, in order to manage the risk, I need to understand w- w- what it is. Um, and once again, I think the, the baselining within those particular environments, whether it's your IT and understanding all the SaaS applications that you may have in an environment, and do you understand what data is going into those SaaS applications is one step. Uh, and your HR IT systems, are you, have you evaluated the software that they're using in ensuring that the proper safeguards are in place there? Um, same with your financial systems and things of that nature. It, it still, to me, steps back. Uh, starts with, do I have an accurate assessment of where I'm at? And do I understand where I'm at? And can I articulate where I'm going? And once I articulate where I'm going, can I actually hire and actually um, do projects and develop capabilities that either mitigate, uh, transfer, reduce uh, the risk? It's 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 a large undertaking because most of the times my experience is that engineering sometimes focus like security just focuses on the engineering and developer aspect of it, but there's this whole other side of the, the business that uh, like the biz ops world that needs a TLC also, uh, and and how do you sort of you know have security practitioners you know welcome that world into their space and be welcomed in that space. And I'm not sure if we are having those types of conversations with the, those types of with people of those backgrounds to understand uh, the pains and the challenges that they may be uh, experiencing.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. Realistically, you know, I think about it. Right? Some of my first gigs, you know, dealing with security, it was a lot of, uh, you know, identifying, hey, guess what? We have marketing that's standing up all of this stuff all the time. And we give them customer lists and they're posting them to, you know, they're posting them spreadsheets to random places, right? And, you know, getting your mind around that or your hands around it and then asking them to actually follow a process that may take them five minutes longer is a difficult thing to do, right? It just is because they've got their deadlines, they've got everything else they're dealing with. And, you know, having to meet in the middle on a lot of that is difficult, is hard (laughs)
2: Oh, yeah. And definitely just asking them about their experiences with security from a marketing standpoint. Some of them will say, I haven't had to or, or no one's ever asked me. And you're just like, what? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so once again, it's that narrative. It's like, OK, then I'm meeting you where you're at. I am um, going to know how do I engage you so I can bring you on this journey and then let's go. Cool.
1: That, yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. Right. As you know, we do get very siloed and it, it is definitely because we you know we have our niche that we find right um, and we don't necessarily always think outside of that but it is a good exercise to do that just like it is that you know the breach plan you know thinking about that because it doesn't necessarily always just touch the engineers it touches everybody else.
0: Well, and it's probably not a bad idea considering with DevOps, you know how much of uh, AppSec um, and Ops is, are sort of working. Security SecOps and AppSec kind of have to work together now. So silos are, are certainly, from a technical as well as cultural standpoint, they kind of they kind of have to break down there. Um, so I did want to shift gears uh, since we're a little over an hour now. Um, so. Basically, I did want to recap just real quick a little bit from, and again, uh, if you have questions, okay, I see some some something popped in, so um, I've got we got some questions. I'm about to get to that. I did want to recap um, from last week at Loco Mocosec. Uh, some of the things that Charles ta- Charles was talking about, I saw those same like um, Troy Hunt did a keynote, and it was. It was a lot of the same, the same sort of uh, philosophy, and a lot, a lot of the same sort of. Uh, um, I think that the concept, the talk was something like, "You're pwned, I'm pwned, we're all pwned," or something along those lines. Um, and uh, so there were some pretty interesting things in that. Um, you know, I, at s- some points it was like, "Well, excess just doesn't seem to want to go away." It was Doctor Mario who uh, talked about that um, from Cure Fifty Three. Uh so there's some interesting things. Um, but Charles and I share a mutual friend Justin Collins. Um, one thing that was really cool and u- unique about LocomocoSec that I did want to po- I did want to point out, and uh, Charles and I had discussed it, we definitely wanna uh, chat about it a little bit. Um Justin basically sponsored a uh um, as well as locomoco sec, they they put together a diversity sponsor uh, they paid for their, um, hotel, uh, airfare. And the, uh, the goal being for folks who may have not had the opportunity to be get exposure to like an app conference could come out. And of course, like if you're going to come out to a, an AppSec conference, like Hawaii, you really can't do much better. So, um, but that was definitely something I know, Charles, you talked about wanting to kind of discuss tonight. And, you know, we've, Talked about it before on this podcast. Um, We'd like to promote uh, certainly more diversity in in the AppSec field. So um, there's a couple questions coming in through. So, well, please give us your your insight there and then uh, we'll get to some of these questions uh, before we wrap up. There's a couple that have come in. So, yeah,
2: definitely. Uh, So, like, I have a personal uh, interest in um, uplifting the underrepresented minorities within information security as a whole. Um, it, it's it's near and dear to my heart. Like it, it's something that impacts me daily. I've, like, I like have had experiences that have shaped the reason why I, I am who I am because of, of even my engagement in the security community. And with that being said, uh, one of the challenging parts is how do we uh, create, like I mentioned before, a space where the barriers of entry to security is open. And I I have to say, like um, like Marcus from V Threat. Uh, Threat Care has been uh, one of my mentors and uh, I think he's, just, you know, tremendously awesome Or uh, with around you know, providing guidance as to how to do that. Uh, the, one of the unique things I would have to say about the security space is if you get on Twitter and you ask a question, you'd be surprised how many people will come up and give you the answer. It's just like getting over that initial fear of like, just ask. Like, there's enough people within the security space that are, that are willing, and I believe, want to ultimately see uh, a diverse community. Because with diverse communities, you get diverse thought, you get diverse actions, and things of that nature. So I am I I am all for advocating for uh, diversity within security. I am doing my part in terms of being able to hire uh, a diverse team and expose uh, people to the different paths that exist within security. Uh, were the two volunteers that I do uh, so i I'm definitely big on on ensuring uh, that there's access and there's actual representation when it comes to uh, diversity in c- information security uh, field so you, you won't get any pushback from me on that that's that's something I live breathe and live every day
0: yeah I mean for us you know it, it's it's one of those things where like, cause I don't, I don't, there's younger folks who come into the industry and, and like we, we, we seem probably semi-professional or whatever, but when I got into hacking, it was called hacking. It wasn't, there was not, there was, there was not an industry and it was basically like, you know, love fucking anarchy, right? Like that's, that's what it was. And back to kind of that time, like, which wasn't that long ago, but I mean, it was, probably 13, 13, 14 years ago when, you know, I started myself getting into this, it was like, it was about who you were. It was about all these different opinions, all these unique people. And the one thing we had in common was that we all, we all loved hacking. We all loved breaking into stuff. That was what we loved. And, um, you know, I think it's important. I I, I mean, it's kind of what we're, what you've just said. I think it's important for those. It is what you said is it is important for, all these different opinions and all these different personalities to help shape this culture and to keep it growing and evolving. And so, uh, you know, the, like I said, I think it's great when like when someone like, you know, just Justin, Justin yeah. Collins, breakman pro actually put money where their, where their mouth is on the, uh, and, and help out in that regard. Yeah, so. definitely.
2: I'm uh, yeah. Justin, uh great friend, uh, Yeah, really exciting guy.
0: Well, and, um, you know, on that note, someone, uh, so CC had said, uh, to, to you, this, uh, she said that I think it's, yes, it's, I believe it's, she, uh, loved your tweets about inclusion and your support for female engineers and in InfoSecs. Uh, there are, there's a question there, but I just, I wanted to point out that that, that was, um, something that was thrown out there to you. A thank you. Um, or, or, uh, you know uh positive statement. and then there there's so there's a few questions here, right One is what do you think about certifications, but more specifically the offensive security certified pen tester uh,
2: i'm 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 all for certifications. Uh, the reason why is once again, even from a diverse standpoint, people get into security from different angles. Um, it's whether it's through formal education through university or it's like a side hustle that hey, they intrigued, or it's like, they came out of university with a different degree and said, "Hey, I stumbled into this thing called security. So why is it me to limit how and another person goes about obtaining knowledge? If you can demonstrate that you have the knowledge, and if you did it through uh, whether it's a certification route or education route or self-taught through YouTube videos or Pentester Labs or or whatever the, the the platform is, shoot, go do it. I I'm an advocate for for." insatiable learning like one of the things that i sort of preach within the teams i've managed in the past is there will be time for documentation and learning like if we can't lean on each other to learn from each other then we're failing each other so i i'm very very big on whatever means that you know how to learn learn it uh like i know for me i'm I'm a reader I, i love to read once i read it then i go and try to apply it some people they can see something one time they got it so we all learn differently, which once again is, is just a diverse thought set, and just sort of go from there. So I'm I'm big on certs. I'm big on education. I'm big on whatever makes sense for you as the learner.
0: Yeah, I don't have the attention span to listen to a teacher. You know, some people, like you said, they can they can listen to they can sit there for an hour or two, listen to somebody, an instructor, and that's actually better for them. And for me, I lose track after like two minutes. Just give me the book and the hardware or the software and like get cracking. So everybody's different in how they learn. Um, the the follow-up to that question was uh, what would you recommend in terms of training, certifications, whatever, what have you to um, start in web application security specifically?
2: For the web, uh, well, for the web app side, I know that you're the, the SANS courses. I can't remember the SANS certification, but SANS is an investment. I do like the, I think you mentioned, was it the offensive sort of the OSCP,
0: yeah.
1: I, I, yeah, I do
2: think that's a very interesting certification. I, I believe there's, uh, was it pentesterlab.com has some very, very great like tutorials uh, and their paid model is not so bad either. So uh, there's many places where I think you can get uh, uh, an, an introduction uh, into the, the web app space Uh, and sort of go from there. And there's also the GitHub awesome list. I know there's like the AppSec awesome list of things of all the curated, um, uh, like, GitHub repos. Yeah, searching for it. Yeah, it's, that thing is like, like, it's a living, breathing testament as to the investment as security professionals we do to make sure that people are informed. So it's it's great.
0: Yeah, uh, Paragoni, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but here's the link. I'm going to put it into live chat for everybody so that they can, but yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, you know, I'll add to that too in that like, and I know Seth, Seth is the same way. When you, if you're if you're talking about just starting out in, in Web sec, and this probably applies to security in general, like when you see something like someone get the o, uh, OSCP or the, not, not just that, but like they've gone and they've done, uh, they've volunteered as like a C at the CTF team for a conference or they've gone and done CCDC or they've and um, some open source contribution and some blogging. We've talked about this before. Like when you combine like the, a certification that's really hard to get, like the OSCP, and then you've got your um, you know your involvement and activities that you can point to outside that. That's like that is it comes down to like okay, pretty much what Charles said in the in the beginning, which was how do you think? Now I just want to know how you think, and a little bit more about who you are because you've already proven that this is something you're serious about, and so. Um that's enough I think to get started.
2: Yeah, you can't teach passion. Like you either have it or you don't. Yeah, I, I
1: mean I, the only thing I was going to add to that is right that you know once you do get a little bit of experience or you want to try that out, right? The nowadays with the bug bounties that are out there, you can go try it, you know. You may not not, not find things cuz a lot of that low-hanging fruit gets picked up pretty quick but at least you have live environments that you can test against. Um, right? When we were coming up, that was all very gray. Um, you know, you could spin up your app or stay on your network, but the, the amount of diversity that's there from a, you know, strict language and app perspective is pretty low in comparison to the wider internet. So utilize those as well.
0: And um, anything to add before I continue on? Because there are a couple more questions here.
2: Yeah, let's let's hit the questions, man.
0: Awesome. So what are the three top skills for your incident response team?
2: Uh, I would say number one is communication. Uh, Number two, uh, communication. Number three, communication. Um, I, I really do believe that when incidents happen... Like I see incident commanders as people that sort of rally people to sort of like, hey, say calm, cool, collected. Let's not have any you know, cowboy you know, riding off people doing whatever they see fit. It has to be a coordinated response where there is a control center that people come in, they check in, tasks are divvied up. You understand how to do the triage. You understand how the triage impacts the business. Like the, There is a basically a command where there's a trade-off given. You understand what those trade are, trade-offs are. I, I believe that that communicating and understanding that to the stakeholders for which you'd be working with within an incident is uh, uh, imperative. Um, I, like, and depending on your, also the vertical that you're in, in some cases, you know, people may want skill sets of reverse engineering and things of that nature. Like, I, 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 I think there's enough commodity software out there that you can get enough of that. But I look more on how does an individual coordinate and maintain a level head when, uh the fire is all around them like that 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 this is fine uh little i don't know cartoon strip where that little doggy or whatever is sitting and everything is burning around them like there's some people that can just say cool and say okay this is what we're going to do and when p and when those types of individuals speak like they're heard and people respond to them in a manner where we know that they're 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 going to be efficient they're going to be uh, understood and they're actually going to be acted upon like i look for that understanding a lot like i said the technical stuff will always get done. Like, I I don't doubt technical capability um, nowadays. Uh, Either you do it, you know it, or you don't. Like, it's very, very cut and dry to me.
0: Yeah, soft skills are important, whether it's consulting to a company or working for a company. I mean, those types of things. Like, soft skills can't be... I mean, there's... um, It can't be understated how important soft skills really are. And because you see a bunch of people that are super smart and like, and there are definitely areas uh, where it, it's fine. Like you could be a researcher. Or you could, there are a few places where it's totally fine to like have no real people skills to speak of. But for the most part, you know, you're still it's like you can't like oh, I'm technical, so I don't get people. I don't have to try and fit in like no, you have to get along with people, and so like everything you've been saying is pretty much like give to market your your team yourself uh, your your goals to other people, so um how skills th- help
2: Now yeah, I'll add one more thing uh so like understanding logging infrastructures and being able to parse data sets. Like, I, I just think that as an incident response or security monitoring and detection engineer, that understanding how to look at data, um, visualize data to tell a story, once again, going back to narratives, is is, is once again, uh, influential and important. Um, <clears throat> the whole thing's around incidents is basically you have puzzle pieces and you're trying to put some form of that puzzle together. And there will be gaps where you have to basically lean on some inferences and um, applied assumptions where the level of confidence and use leveraging your experiences is sort of like state, right? Can we validate this assertion? Yeah, I, I, all I can say is agreed. <laughs> There's
0: nothing really I can add or say, you know, that's well said. Well, well said. Um there are. There's one last question, um, which is essentially it's a. It's just pretty much like what are some of the, your, uh, what are your favorite, your top three books essentially around something like incident response.
2: Oh, actually, I think two of them are sitting right next to me, so I'm going to say, uh, "Intelligence Driven Incident Response" by Scott J. Roberts and Rebecca Brown. Like I know Scott from Penn State; we both from the school. Great book, awesome book. Uh, My other book, like I said, these are like my, I keep these bad boys close to me. Uh, The Defensive Security Handbook, uh, Lee Brotherstone and Amanda Berlin. Great book, like like I said, keep it next to me. And this is a book I just started getting into recently. I haven't really finished it yet, but it's uh, Security Risk Management uh, by Evan Wheeler. Uh, It's something that I want to be more declarative and explicit when I talk about how do we measure risk? Um, How do you define elements to measure, and what does that look like for security? Um, other, uh, we talk about all this data-driven stuff for other like A-B testing and things of that nature. I, from my experience, I have not seen that translated well into s- the security space. Most of the times you see people saying, I want red, yellow, green. And every time I hear that, I'm like, okay, like, like what the hell does that mean? Like, <laughs> like, okay, oh yeah, red, okay, yeah, there you go. Like, what does that mean? Pretty colors. <laughs> I think that's what that means. <laughs> no idea. Like, how do you um, measure red, yellow, green? Yeah,
0: there's got to be something behind it. <laughs> some facts and some data, you know.
2: So so those would be my books. Um, yeah, but I also love music, too. So uh, uh, I, I'm going to throw out some, some music stuff here real quick, if you don't mind. Sure, yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, right now, I would say, like, uh, Make Me Believe in You by Curtis Mayfield. There, there is a really uh cool track there's actually three versions of this song uh one by patty Joe and oh I can't remember the other lady's name but but I think Curtis mayfield is the original uh it's a cool funk track um like and then also you yeah, I love james brown uh James Brown and payback like I just 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 a classic funk, and then uh a Lafayette Afro rock band. Uh, all their music is pretty funky, so like I I just love that those those rhythms and beats of of that old full the the old soul funk. So just throwing that out there for people who want uh, who want to know more about me. Uh, when I did my presentation at Stitch Fix, I said you know I was going through the Curtis Mayfield discography, so I got a lot of questions about Curtis Mayfield. So I'm I'm just wrapping that up.
0: <laughs> that's all well no i mean
2: that's we've always
0: said we're like yeah you can ask us about appsec stuff for sure or just whatever because this is really just about this this podcast the intention is to make kind of just shoot the shit and like make it ex- make make it accessible to everybody who's maybe just getting in uh, to the field or wants to or you know just people who've been around i mean whatever we we just try to not we try to keep it so this is great because we definitely try to keep it kind of casual and talk about whatever it doesn't really it doesn't really matter um so I'm just checking. Sorry, just checking chat real quick. Make sure we don't have anything else before I. So while uh, while I'm checking these, because um, we did talk about diversity, but I wanna I wanna know real quick because I don't think we covered like what can we what can we as a community do to uh, promote you know females in tech to promote uh, to make to make it uh, just in, in general more inclusive environment. And uh that barrier a little less intimidating. Cause the way I think about it is like if I'm at a um if I'm at a conference and, and I'm new, well, when I was at conferences and I was new, it's definitely intimidating for any anybody to go up to folks you don't know, especially people that are seen as like, you know, super smart rock stars or whatever. So um that barrier is already hard for any of us. You know, how do we how do we make it a little bit easier?
2: All right. So uh gonna be straight to the point here. Okay. I, I think the whole concept of this whole rock star mentality and this cowboy mentality, like, I, 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 the terminology, I just can't stand it because I, I believe that words have meaning. So I, I try to stay away from using like rock star because there's a, even the association of rock star has a connotation itself. So that's number one. And then number two is, um, from my experience, what I've noticed is that a lot of underrepresented minorities uh, may just be starting their careers. So there, there's a level of mentorship, not just mentorship, but lately of sponsorship to basically um, to, to give these individuals positions to actually like showcase their talents and abilities. Uh, that's number two. Uh, and then number three, if you're in networks, your networks are more, more than often going to be like yourself. Um, and so when you're already at a disadvantage in terms of like, uh, security is such a specialized field within the, the discipline of engineering. And then within that, you're trying to find even specialty, uh, backgrounds and diverse, uh, uh individuals, it's even challenging. So I, I, I sort of make it an effort to put myself out there more and champion the different groups that are working to sort of, uh, pave those inroads. Um, uh, I, I know that there's groups that I hopefully we'll be working with in the future around th- this particular topic. And then the last thing I would say is that, as an underrepresented minority, sometimes there's an expectation that it's my job to sort of fill this bucket and carry this bucket on behalf of other, uh, of, of the group at large. And, and, and I, I'm here to say like, no, that's not my fucking job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no um,
1: shit. It's not your job.
2: <laughs> so it, it's, it's collectively as an industry that we will either succeed in this area. And if, you know, if we believe that, uh, that diversity is important. Then we will show once again by our actions. Like I, I am a true believer that if you show me what you do, it will show me the type of person or type of culture that you have. So if your culture or your actions demonstrate that you're going to different places to recruit, like you know if there's pipeline schools that you always recruit from and you, you don't go to potentially like whether Georgia Tech or an HBCU, uh, historically black college or university, then Yeah, I'm going to bet to say that you may not get the type of candidate pool that you're thinking of in the first place. Uh, And if you're a heavy (laughs) referral company and you don't have a very diverse population, well, I'm probably going to say you're running the risk that you're probably going to get the same that you see every day. So you have to make it a conscious effort to actually be explicit and declarative about it, period.
0: Yeah, and it's really the only way that we, again, I don't think people understand the importance of, well, I can't say that. I can't speak for everybody, but I I don't know if it's truly understood how important um, making the, the the field as including as many people who, who have some fan. I mean, I know there's like, there's, there's 20, 20 year old kids that are just coming out that can, do things that, and know things that like, I, I yeah, I'm not going to, it was that, uh, it was like a 20 year old kid who found the uh, Intel and AMD uh, bugs, uh, right? Like,
1: yeah.
0: right. So like how many of those people are out there and you, we want, we want them, we want them to join. So no, definitely it is, it is for all of our benefit.
2: Yeah. And, and, and just to say, like I, I love working with young students and young graduates because their perspective is so fresh. That you know, they challenge me to think about what am what am I not doing. Um, they see things differently and attack problems differently. That is it, actually refreshing, um, and also hopefully changing the culture. Like, uh, just a quick story. Like when I first got out to the West Coast, like I like coming from the East Coast. Look, I like to dress, I like to look nice, I like to feel nice. <laughs> that's like weird in the- San Francisco. <laughs> San Francisco, they it's a weirdo like. And I remember, uh, working and someone like, you know, made a comment at me about like, you know, why you dress like this? i was like, well, I like to look good. I like to feel good. It's not, it's not imposing on you or anything like that. And I'm a tall man. I'm about six, five. And, oh, wow. and, and, and so, you know, I, you know, I carry myself well and I look good. And it was just the assumption that like you are out of place. And then it made, and I felt that, and you know, the whole imposter syndrome thing, I'm not going to lie. The first year I was out here, I, I was a mental wreck. Um, And but I found groups and I found people that supported me um, and I've made really, really great friendships while being out here. But part of the culture to assume that, like, I'm going to be honest, I don't know anything about Star Trek. (laughs) <laughs> but people people talk to me as if I understand Star Trek. I'm like, is this a security thing? Like, like what, what am I supposed to do? Like, there's certain things I think, like, just there's like an inherent culture that people just believe that if you're a security professional, like, you are this quote unquote nerd, and being a nerd consists of these things. And I'm like, well, no, that can't be the case because all of our backgrounds are different, and and, and, and we can't apply that blanket across everyone. Like I said again, meet people with grace, meet them where they're at get to know them and then bring them along for the journey.
0: Awesome. Well said. I can't really add anything to that. I agree with all of it and it was uh, really well said. Um, I don't have any other, I don't have any other questions here. So we did it. Yeah,
1: we did it. Yeah. For an hour and a half too. Uh, Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's great for you uh, to come on, man. And you know, hopefully we'll be able to do this again in the future. If you're up for it
2: right. definitely thank you guys I, I i appreciate it also thanks to justin for, for like linking us up together i thought that was that was amazing so yeah uh, thanks I, justin. I appreciate it
0: or listening later yeah we really appreciate you coming on here sharing your time with us we know you're a busy you're a busy man and uh you got a lot going on so the fact you spend a you chose to spend some time with us and our viewers means a lot so thanks again no problem any any final words before we? Uh, uh, anything you wanna you wanna mention before we we get going and shut
1: this yeah. down? Yeah,
2: two things. Um, we're hiring at Citchfix, uh security professionals. Um, please reach us at. Um, you no, know, follow me on Twitter at Charles underscore Nwatu Um Just reach get a hold of me because uh, we're you know we're hiring. And then second, like I said, you no, know, let's meet each other with grace, get to know each other and then let's bring people along on the security journey.
0: Well, again, well said, um, you know, I encourage anybody who's interested in stitch fix to reach out to Charles, uh, Charles Nawatu's uh, handle is twitter.com. Sorry. I'm bringing it. It's, it's Charles underscore Nawatu. So that's, Charles underscore n w a t u. You can follow him on Twitter, and you can contact him uh, there as well. So, and we'll uh, we'll put his Twitter handle in the description of this video as well. So, Charles, thanks again. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, don't just hop off yet. Uh, but for the rest of you all, we're gonna close this out. Have a good night. Uh, thanks for tuning in.
2: Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks,
1: everybody. Bye, bye.